Hi, I'm Audrey Bellis, and you're listening to Brown Girls Rising, a worthy women podcast in partnership with Nylon Español. We tell stories about fierce, femme, leaders, and activists of color bettering our worlds. Let's get started. All right, guys, we are back. New episode, Brown Girls Rising, and I am here with my friend Natalie. You probably know her as the financially savvy Latina. (laughs) Natalie, welcome to Brown Girls Rising. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. We are, how long have we known each other now? I think a couple years now. Of like, how many yeah. Worthy Women events do we know each other through? <laughs> yeah, I think I was there for one of the first, maybe the third one or something. So yeah, it's been an awesome ride. Absolutely. Fantastic. I'm super excited to have you here because one, you're a fellow dirtbag. We are <laughs> Long Beach. <laughs> yes, we are Cal State Long Beach alum. So, you know, we've been talking about the Illuminati today with some other past episodes. So if you watch in our pyramid, we watching you. Yes. I'm kidding, you guys. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You know, I, you know, I trifle just a little bit. I am super happy to have you here because you and I, about the same age, I feel like we've really, we have a lot of similar narratives in our lives. So I want to jump right into it. I want to know about your brand. Tell our audience what the Financially Savvy Latina is, what you do, and then we're going to go way back and kick it to 92 and bring it forward. Okay, sounds good. Exactly where we are here is pretty much where I came from, right? So Financially Savvy Latina is a series of things, but for me, it's financial literacy. So through workshops, through speaking engagements that people hire me, my published book, Financially Savvy in 20 Minutes, which we can talk more about that, especially being a college student and a first-generation college students out there dealing with debt. And it's huge, especially now that we're seeing tuition increasing. Cal State Long Beach, or all of Cal State schools were recently increased last year. So we're yeah. seeing it uh, no longer an easy pay after, you know, a couple years after school. So that's one of the biggest things about what I've built as a brand, you can say, is not only speaking about topics that most people don't want to, especially within our cultures, within our society as a taboo, to talk about money, talking about debt, talking about student debt, which is very different than any other debt that we've seen. And just kind of learning how to have healthy habits, right? Have, you know, how to enjoy your money at the same time, pay down some of that debt that you, you know, definitely think about all the time. You know, that's interesting that you bring up the tuition for Cal State Long Beach. I was very fortunate to be the recipient of a full academic scholarship. So my college was paid for. All I had to do was buy my own books and my own parking. And back then, I was taking so many units because I was doing – 22 units a semester. Wow, yeah. So my books would cost me on average, you know, about $1,000, which was as much as tuition when I was in college, $1,000 a semester. So I was only in school for two years for my undergrad because I finished early. And every semester, tuition doubled during those two years. So by the time I graduated, thank God I finished early, I had friends that couldn't afford it um, because it was so expensive, especially if you were paying your way through. And I remember like, you know, buying, I worked full time as well at the same time. So I could buy my own books. I literally had zero debt. It wasn't until I had a broken engagement that I really got into debt. And then (laughs) I ended up having the same six figures amount of debt that my friends who went to the big schools had. And I was like, man, I played myself. But it's also not knowing. (laughs) And it's also not knowing, right? (laughs) Kind of how to set yourself up in that sense, right? That's something you've learned and hopefully teach other people the same thing. And I think that's, really powerful when we talk about our mistakes and then say, hey, this is what I wish I did or maybe I learned from it better, right? Absolutely. And I really had that conversation with my parents later. Um, after that, you know, I, I left that relationship with literally six figures in debt. And I remember telling them, why did you never talk to me about these things? Like I made poor choices. I had the money to get myself into these situations. But, you know, trusting the wrong person Uh, spending money in things that I probably didn't need to, a six-figure wedding that I didn't end up having that I couldn't get my money back from. I lost most of it um, because it was so close to the wedding date. So it wasn't just deposits we lost. You had to pay the full balance by then. Yes. Um, And so, you know, trusting somebody else with my finances who was making poor choices with my finances, unbeknownst to me, because I was modeling what was learned to me. My dad made the money. My mom managed the money, but my dad made it. And my parents have one joint checking account. They share an email address. I just thought when I was turning over those things to my then partner that I was just modeling what I knew. And Mm -hmm. I was doing just like my parents, which was the right thing, not realizing that I was trusting the wrong person. 
And, you know, you talk about things like I had to rebuild my credit score after that. Oh, yeah. And I became obsessed with my credit score to this day. You almost can't. Yeah, I can't help it. You're constantly, it's kind of when you're losing weight, you're constantly thinking about the pounds. Oh. Credit scores can be just as, if not worse. Absolutely. Yeah. And I am fascinated by how much people don't understand their credit. I live in this spreadsheet of like, this is what I have. This is what I aged off. This is what I can pay down. Here's what I can negotiate to have this trade item removed or this line item because there were these predatory credit repair companies that uh, like you have to pay to fix your credit, but they're not really fixing it. And they're doing very predatory, like questionable actions. And just the, you know, I sit here and I go, no wonder we are so, such a targeted community, right? The immigrant community. In fact, on a previous episode, I was talking about how the Latino community is, and I couldn't remember the term, maybe you know it, but how we're underbanked. We're like not represented in the banking community because many people don't have a high enough and I, that I didn't know that you needed to have a certain credit score to be able to get a checking account. I didn't know that because I've never been in that situation, right? Like, yes. you know, yes, I went through credit repair issues and I rebuilt that, but I always had a checking account during that. I didn't know that people can't get checking accounts. And that's one thing um, part of like you just hit on the point where most of our most of us learn from our parents. We learn from who we're around. And yep. we're all of a sudden, we're recycling. We're doing the same cycle. So a lot of them go to check in the cash if they can't get the checking or don't know how to do that. That's a whole nother right? We just segment. talked about how I grew up in North Long Beach. Mm -hmm. And there are more check cashing places and liquor stores than there are anything else. But there wasn't a grocery store or a bank up until five years ago. Oh, and I believe it. And and they and they're they're specific in these cities that are predominantly brown that don't have exactly the funds that they might need to have a, a checking account or a savings account. Hey, and they loans. know what they're doing. And they're oh yeah, and they have an advertisement everywhere you go by the bus stop, by you know on the wall you'll see something that says hey, you need a, a paycheck advance. Are you hurting enough money for next month? They know what they're doing. Yet you go to predominantly affluent cities, you're never going to see something like that. You won't yeah. even see a check in a cash or whatever they're called, you know, different. Um, there's just so many different locations and they're coming up with new names to make you think, oh, that's not the same thing. It's an actual bank and it's not. And if anything, they're just charging you a lot more interest. Yeah. And I've, I've, you know, I've seen those. You get those notices, right? And you read them like $10,000 tomorrow, 200% interest. And you just sit there and you go, what the like, yeah. do people not read the fine print? No, especially no. when you're in a desperate situation, back up against the wall, and you need that money. You're basically taking like, it's almost like loan shark money. They're gonna, you know, it, it, that's exactly they're not what coming it is. for your kneecaps, but they're coming for they're coming for you in every other way possible. And the lack of financial literacy, right? Like we don't talk about saving, we don't talk about investing, or even the mortgage industry, right? Oh, that's how another. bad did the mortgage industry screw over? the Latino community. We were the worst targeted amount. And I think uh, when you look at certain cities like Los Angeles, even in Nevada, we're hit hard. And it was Latinos that lost everything, that were in foreclosure, that were living out of people's garages because they lost literally everything. And our generation, if you weren't, if you didn't have a property during that time, this was less than, what, less than 10 years ago, yeah. are, are about to redo the same problem, same mistakes, because they weren't aware of, it. We're you know, we're the first people that they... They want to make sure that we get the high interest rate, that even if your credit score is okay, they're going to try to sell you every possible option when you're getting a mortgage. So even our credit cards too, you just said 200% to get out of personal. A credit card, you'll see stuff that you still are getting interest of at least 18% and then an annual fee. And it's part of not having the financial literacy part, like what, what should be available to you for free. Right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I love that you're breaking that cycle, especially for our community. I'm curious for you. I know for me, like when I've talked about like rebuilding, I've done a few workshops on this on like, you don't have to go to a credit repair place. You just need to know your stuff, know your rules. And here's how you break it down and yes. really get involved and understand and literally become obsessed with it. Like Credit Karma, when that app came out, oh, mm, it was my best great. friend. Yeah. I was obsessed with it. Yes. Even though it's owned by TransUnion because that's not a conflict of interest. Oh, every, every banking system institution yeah. that we have is somehow and who owns checking the cash, all these yes. are all connected. Oh, they truly are. But I'm curious for you. I know for me that stemmed from personal experiences. That's why I'm so deeply mm -hmm. passionate about it. Um, did you have personal financial experiences that really led you to this? Absolutely. And kind of picking back from college, I worked the full time as well. I, I My parents helped me as much as they could. I paid for my you know books as much as I could. And as, as well as I even got some scholarships and I still had debt. And it's part of you know, especially if you live off a of campus, if you're commuting, you in L.A., 
your rent is going to be so expensive on top of that too, right? So these are all these other expenses that no one's really teaching you how to manage it. I'm also a first-generation college student, so that means I was learning how to navigate school along with living on my own because our culture was teaching us, hey, by the time you're, you know, 22, 23, you should be married with kids. And for me, I'm like, "Uh, that's not going to happen because I'm going to school, possibly grad school and definitely working in a career. So what happens with first generation college students, we become also first generation possibly to buy a home and hopefully rental property and everything that goes along with it. And we're also the first ones to be targeted with credit cards. I still remember walking out of my classrooms and they had people giving you credit cards basically for free. If they say, hey, you get a free T-shirt, a free gym membership and you sign up today and it was something ridiculous like 20 percent interest. Uh, My very first Capital One card that had the ladybug on the cover, I got in front of the pyramid at Cal State Long Beach. And yes, I got a T-shirt. Yeah, I, I, I look back and I'm like, did I probably get something? And I'm sure I did. Yep. Um, and luckily there is a law and they're not allowed to be on campus anymore that passed a few couple years ago, but it, it's still they're available anywhere. I mean, you go online and you can get a credit card. Um, one of the things that also managed or what caused me to become more passionate about financial literacy, I've always had, I was always really interested in the behaviors with money. Coming from a poor neighborhood as well. I grew up in Inglewood. My parents were actually from El Salvador. I was born in El Salvador and raised here. I was less than a year old. So all of a sudden, I'm I'm in my city, which I love because most of my family was there. But I ended up going to a public school right after the LA riots, which we can talk about in a bit. But now I'm exposed to some of the wealthiest families. And coming from where I lived, we didn't see any of these different habits, different the way they even talk about money, the way they even talk about the next opportunity was very different. And so all of a sudden, I had... I kind of felt like this epiphany. And in college, that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which yes. so really opened up my eyes. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is what I'm experiencing, being exposed to, which my parents were smart, educated in the sense that they could, and they taught us the best that they can, but so limited. And then I'm exposed to other friends that came from wealthy parents and had multiple streams of income, had passive income, had all these different types of literally words that we've never heard. And I always tell people financial literacy is like another language. If we don't learn it at a younger age, it's harder for us as we get older. And I like how you said you became obsessed with it and started learning. But I think the hardest part for those that feel overwhelmed by it, there is nonprofits that will do it for free for you, that'll teach you. Um, But it's just getting, taking the time to just go through and be like, what is my credit score? Just like losing weight, you got to get on the scale and find out how much you weigh and, you know, be be open to finding out, okay, I need to improve a lot of things. I need to cut some, you know, some expensive or some fat, how we call it. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I call it bridging small right actions. Mm-hmm. So for me, mm. you know, I use the line all the time, you can't raise your net worth until you raise your self-worth. And for me, I felt so much shame around having such a big debt and how, for a smart girl, how I'd gotten there. And I had this spreadsheet when I finally got out of bed, got over this depression yeah. of, and get over is not the right phrase to be honest with you but when i decided i was going to i was going to change the circumstances that i was in mm-hmm. i made a spreadsheet of what i owed where i owed it to and i tackled the smallest one first and i was like okay this is $120 can i pay $10 a week yes yes i can where am i where's every single dollar that i have coming in what dollars are owed to me where is it going to go what are my profit margins where am i where can i skimp what can i save what can i not have this week no lattes for me, no, I'm not getting my hair dyed, I'm dyeing my own hair, whatever that is, yeah. right? And I really took a hard look at where I could save money. And this is where I became a really good negotiator. Yes. Um, you know, we talked about this off air about how worthy women, we don't pay for venues. Mm-hmm. I I can find anything to trade, <laughs> barter, uh, come up. Yes. I've got something you want. I got a relationship that I could broker for you, an yes. introduction. There is some way I can be more creative because I don't believe that you need money to participate. You and don't need money to participate. It's your job to be creative with it. Exactly. And you've built a brand with it too. And I think yeah. that's what's really important where people don't understand. They think, oh, I need money to make money. It's like, no, you can learn to barter. If you have something that someone else needs, then you figure out a way. For me, I think as part of our community too, it's kind of like you just said, I was you were ashamed of the debt that you were in. I was in that too, where it's like, oh, well, I have this college degree, but I felt ashamed that I had acquired so much debt and no one was really talking about it. And who who do you turn to, right? Especially if no one in your family has really experienced that. they have that. no advice to give you because they don't know. Yes. And they think, oh, it'll, it'll, it's, it's okay. It's going to go away. Kind of. And I see this with the older generations. They make it seem like, oh, why can't, you know, uh, people pay off their student loans? You know, they, it's like a, it's like a mortgage. I'm like, no, it's not. You can't live in it. It, mm-hmm. you know, if anything, it's constantly 
over your head, knowing that you might not even have a job too. So these are other factors that generations don't understand. For me, I felt ashamed of, yeah, exactly like you said, in that type of debt. But also, I also felt there was something I needed to do in order to not only get rid of that debt, but to have some income for myself. And I love how you're always pushing, especially at the summits, at the workshops on having a side hustle, having passive income. And a lot of people don't even know what that means as opposed to earn income, right? Earn income is that we're right. trading our time for money. Yep. Most people don't think of, hey, on the side, I should be doing something that I might have to take some time to build and create. And then eventually it'll start making me some money where I don't have to do it over again. It's just a one-time thing, like a book yep. or artwork or buying real estate. You know, Those are things that will bring you that passive income that we should be preparing for as well. Oh, yeah. I, you know, going back to the spreadsheet of debt, as I like to call mm -hmm. it, same thing with the credit score. So with the debt, I was paying things off one by one. And you build your self-worth around that. I can't tell you how good it felt mm -hmm. to make something as little as a $10 payment. Yes. And then the next week I called and I said, yeah, my payment's scheduled for 10 but I could make a $16 payment this week. Yes. And then I can make a $30 payment and then it's gone. Yes. And then being able to negotiate to say, I can't afford to pay this, but credit company that's calling me to claim their money. <laughs> yes. If you agree to move your trade line from my credit report, I can settle for this amount over this many payments at this long, but upon, and I want it in writing. Mm -hmm. I won't give you this routing number until you, and checking account number, until you show me in writing that you agree to remove this item after this many payments totaling this and my debt is satisfied, which means yeah. if you ever try to put it back on my credit report again, I can submit it and say, nope, not allowed yes. and submit it back to you. Um, I became obsessed with things like, here's the other thing I learned when I was paying off those debts. Some mm -hmm. of those debts were a little old as I was going through paying them ah, off where I would mm -hmm. get called and say, we're going to take you to court if you don't do this. Uh, that debt's how many years old now? Like you actually can't take me to court, but you're scaring me into that. And if you agree to payments, you re-age the debt to start the clock over. Yes. Things I learned the hard way mm -hmm. because it's overwhelming information from Google. And again, people don't like to talk about it. I have, you know, and you all have those friends, right? I call them the two groups of friends. I got friends that are going to split that check and they're going to Venmo you and they're oh, going to yes. be like. On top of it. Uh, yeah. This is my, well, well not <laughs> oh, like that. Not. I mean the like, <laughs> well, I only ate $12 of this uh, type, like yes. the budget conscious mm -hmm. experience versus the friends that are like, whatever, I got it this time, you get it next time. Okay. So yeah, so that's a different, exactly. And it's different kind of groups hard. of friends. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the uncomfortableness of it, like. Even even in dating, I dated a guy that I made a lot more money than he did, and he was so uncomfortable. And I can't tell you how uncomfortable I was when we would go to dinner, mm -hmm. and I was like, "Can he afford to pay for this?" Yes, like very. And he was very proud that he wanted to like pay for stuff. And mm -hmm. in my head, I would always be thinking like, "No, let's do something else," because you're conscious of of the where spending he's of the spending exactly. of the spending, and it was such an uncomfortable thing to mm -hmm. talk of or to talk about and he used to constantly talk about like my ambition and my drive and you know we were just we were different people we had different things he was very comfortable with what you know with what he was making and wasn't kind of looking to do more than that uh, i see he was staying within his he lane staying right? within his yeah. lane but for me mm -hmm. in my personality and i look at you know where i'm at with my current partnership and i sit there and i go i need somebody's drive that matches my drive yes and i was in a, uh, i always think of kevin hart when he says that stay within your lane because it's that too if you see yourself you're doing well you're doing better you're going to surround yourself with people that are doing better as well so financially that should be a part of it too especially when you're dating i had boyfriends too where it's like oh you know of course they're all gun ho if you're gonna make money sure i'm okay with that yet when it came down to when they started to see the difference difference they either felt intimidated by it or they felt well of course I want you to do well just as long as I'm doing a little better than you are so finding just the right a partner a little better exactly yes. right finding the right partner that supports you in that is 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 also part of the key <laughs> yeah. I um we've talked about this here my last relationship literally said to me right before we broke up he said, Audrey, I wish you would focus on what's – he related to Worthy Women. It was right after my conference. And he turned to me and he said, when are you going to give up on this little idea that you have? Ouch. Yeah. And I thought, you don't see me at all. Yeah. Like, no. Mm -hmm. And we sat down and he said, you know, I'm thinking we're going to have a breakup conversation. And he goes, I really want you to start focusing on what's more important, like getting married and having kids. So why don't you give me a number and tell me how much it's going to cost for you to need to stay at home? Like yeah. how much money do you need a year to stay at home? Like, how much of an allowance can I give you so that you won't go to work and you won't come back at the new year? 
Wow. And I was like, well, I guess we're breaking up now. That was an actual conversation that he had. He asked me, he asked me for my number, like a financial dollar amount. So you're saying, here, oh, let me tell you my worth now then. Uh, Yeah. But in a sense, wow. And and that stuff that, well, there you go. You dodged a bullet. (laughs) Because, I mean, he doesn't see what the beyond it. It's not just about the money. It's about what you do. This is a guy that was so adamant about Mm -hmm. getting married and having kids. And that was his time. He was older. He wanted it and he wanted it now. He wasn't waiting anymore. He was willing to do anything to make that happen. And he's a great man. Don't Mm -hmm. get me wrong. Right. We were just not right for each other. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's another part of another topic, too, is is your I love how you say you have to increase your net worth, right? Your self-worth for your net worth. And that's a lot with financial literacy for women and men in any partnership where you have to be able to feel comfortable to bring something to the table and have that conversation with the other person and be like, are you okay with this? And, and, And see if they actually... You know, are they a partner? Are they really going to help you out or are they going to take you down? Because it isn't always about the money. It's about what you love, what you do. And and the money should come with it too, right? right? But it's it's having that conversation of being prepared. And I think that's one thing that's always drive, driven me to be an advocate about financial literacy because I see so many women, not just within our cultures, especially within our cultures, that they feel they don't have the choice because either lack of education or lack of the job, the opportunities. But it's part of saying, you know what, maybe do something for yourself and don't be so consumed that, oh, he's going to hate me for it or he's not going to be appreciative of it. You're going to feel better about yourself when you have a little money coming in yourself, having a little bit more worth, and you don't feel so constrained. I mean, imagine if you would have said, sure, exactly, dependent on someone else. They, It should be a partnership. That's what it should be, too. It absolutely yeah. should be, you know, referring back to what I like to call bridging small right actions. Even when you come down to charging people for prices, negotiating your value. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe you're worthy of something, it's really hard to tell somebody you want X amount of dollars for this amount of time and believe that they're going to pay you. If you're hesitant and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe, like, will they even pay me for this? You're likely not going to get the money. And you devalue yourself too, depending on your industry. And that's something I learned the hard way too, where I'm like, oh, you know, I really want to make sure I get that bid. And you were like, okay, we'll we'll knock out a few thousand dollars. And then later on, they're like, okay, cool. We took it. And I'm like, oh, I could have asked more than that. It probably doubled and they still would have taken it. And we do that to ourselves because we feel we want the job. We're so desperate for it. But at the same time, we shouldn't be. And we should be able to be picky and say, our worth is this much. You know what I call that? You mm-hmm. know I call it thirsty money. Yeah. When you desperately need it and you're willing to do, you want that client so bad, you're willing to take it at anything, even if it means putting yourself negative. And mm-hmm. again, not knowing, again, financial literacy, what is the cost of doing business? What are the cost of goods? What, yeah. is, what actually goes into your time to determine what you should be charging? A lot of people don't know. And they there's free apps nowadays. There's a speaker lab. There's so many different ones that out there. Yep. You could just figure out how much are you really going to be spending? Like how you just said, you got to figure out your time, the prepara- preparation that goes to it, just doing a podcast alone too, all these things that come along, people don't understand. It's not like, hey, you just walk out of your you know, house and start talking. It's really setting up all these things. And I'm sure you get a lot of people being surprised of how much work you have to put into it. Yeah. It is a lot of work. Considering mm-hmm. I had no idea how to do a podcast before I launched this podcast, I totally <laughs> pulled that out of my ass. Love you, Nylon. Yeah. Thank you so much for supporting us. That's awesome. And I- finding the right groups that support your mission and are aligned with it is, is brilliant. That's what you need. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I pulled this out of my ass. I literally was in a meeting and I was like, Brown Girls Rising, how about a podcast? You want to be my media partner? Yes. How many episodes do you want to do? I don't know, 40. Awesome. What the f- what the fuck did I know about a podcast? But that's or how you 40 do it. You episodes. <laughs> you just jump in. And I'm forever jumping yes. in saying nothing is impossible. I'll just mm-hmm. figure it out and I'll yeah. get creative with it. And that's the one thing that I think has truly helped me in my career is that I'm not scared to just jump in and figure it out. Nobody knows. You don't know. And I'm going to ask people, and if it doesn't work, then I tried and I learned something. And end of story. Yeah, and I'd rather do all the mistakes up in the beginning than oh, yeah. halfway through. And I think that's something I look back, and especially when I when I speak to young women, so they're like, "Oh, I want to buy a, you know property, and I'm afraid." Go jump into it, get as much education as you can with it, and don't prolong it because what happens? They're going to be spending a lot more later on. A proper appreciation is a lot more. And if anything, hopefully you make those mistakes early on because halfway through when you really could lose a lot more, that's when you're like, oh, I should have learned this before. I should have prepared myself for it. So I like how you say you just jump in and you learn as you go. And the things that you do when you're older, I look at my, I'm 31 now. I look at my relationships in my 20s and things that I valued. My current partner and I are talking about getting married. The past relationships had the very big ring, Mm -hmm. all the stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And I sit here and I go, it's not, we can absolutely afford that. I go, I don't want the big ring. I don't want a big wedding. Mm-hmm. You know what I really want to buy? A house with a studio. 
Yeah. Like awesome. with an attached studio. Like we just had that conversation <laughs> about how much, do, where are we spending our money? Yes. How much are we bringing in? And I look at things, passive things for me, like speaker fees, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, not pulling money out of my business because I can get paid solely on speaking engagements, appearances, and yeah. creative consulting stuff that I do where I could do, you know, a one-off lunch and learn here and there for a few corporations. Yes. And I paid all my bills for the month Yes, versus taking that out of my business so I can grow my business faster because I'm a single member LLC, which means that I get all the profit. It's still all me. Yes. Being more creative in the things that we're doing where we're spending money and creating passive income streams to be able to afford those things. Yes. And it certainly is a mindset because I think of my mom and my parents and the scarcity, for example, mm. my mom has a very scarcity mentality around mm. money. They didn't grow up with money immigrants and very desperate to keep the money that you have. I'll give you an example. Opening bills with my mom. Still, my mom opens bills and it's always, oh my God. Oh my God. There's so many bills. Oh my God. It's so much money. Oh my gosh. This was so much higher this month. The electrical bill was higher because the air conditioning's on Mm -hmm. because it's so hot. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh my gosh. And I go, mom, well, did you pay all your bills? Well, yes, I had enough money to pay all my bills. And you had a little bit extra? Yes, I had a little bit extra. I go, then what are you worried about? Yeah. The fear of constantly never having it, whereas I don't really have that mentality anymore. I Honestly, I have an entirely new ritual around my bills. I pray over them. I love how you just say that because I was just going to say it's part – if you start off thinking about paying your bills with this fear – it's scarcity and you're telling yourself, oh, I don't, there isn't enough money in the world, right? And it's, it's, and there's a cool little tip that I always do. I like how you said, you pray before you, you, you pay your bills. I have a ritual before I pay my bills. And my husband's seen me do this too, where it's, I got my candle going, lavender. And I Same. always tell people do, yeah, because it's what lavender's relaxing or pick your favorite yep. candle. I always have music in the bar, music that I like, whether it's jazz, something that'll, cal- that's calming and my chamomile tea, because I know chamomile tea calms you down as well. Yeah. And then I have everything that I need to pay my bills right then. And then every time I pay one, I always say, thank you. Like, I'm thankful that I had someone, I paid someone today or I employed someone today or I provided the service. I'm thankful that I have a roof over my head. And like you said, electricity, running water. And so I keep saying I'm thankful, even though granted we know we're paying money out, but it's that mentality. That's interesting that you say that. I do the thank you also. Lavender Mm -hmm. is my favorite scent. Kendra. I just paid Kendra. Uh Kendra twice a month. First and the 15th. Awesome. And I am always so grateful and I always send out that thank you prayer with that money. Mm-hmm. Not that it's money that's gone out, but the ability no. to one, be able to pay her, the ability to have done the things that we've done together, mm-hmm. any of my team members. Absolutely. The fact that like we were able to live another day, see another day, do something together and do something more that I could mm-hmm. than I could have done on my own. Yep. I am so grateful for it and money will always come to me. Yes. And it doesn't have to, again, going back to I don't need dollars to participate money always comes back to me. I just had this conversation recently. Tech Day. You uh-huh. guys know Tech Day LA? Coming tech up. Day New York. They have a big one in every city. Yeah. And they do Tech Week, right? Different companies. I remember when I first started my business right after my broken engagement, I really wanted to go to Tech Week and I couldn't afford the ticket price. Mm-hmm. And I prayed and prayed over it. And I did Gabrielle Bernstein's A Course in Miracles. Oh, I love her uh, book. Or not A Course in Miracles. uh, May Cause Miracles. Based on A Course in Miracles. May Cause Miracles. And I was going through the program or going through her book. And I was, it was during the week of the money, right? It was like the second or third week. Uh Releasing your fears and thoughts about it. And I remember it was tech week and I really, really wanted to go. And I just couldn't afford the ticket price. It was like $280 and I didn't have an extra $280. And I silently put it out there and I was like okay god if you really want me to go to this please show me a way find find a way I reached out to them and asked if I could volunteer and they said we don't have any more volunteer openings Uh, I was uh like I wasn't meant to do it and then a friend of mine was asked to be a speaker and she goes I'm gonna get you a media pass will you hold my camera and record me while I speak (laughs) you're like yes 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 three years later they asked me to be a judge at tech week and I sat there and I told the organizer I said I remember when I couldn't afford this ticket and you turned me down as a volunteer. It blows my mind that you've just invited me to be a judge yes. and judge the startup yes. competition. Like when things come full mm-hmm. circle like that, and I got, I cried. I was very emotional. Yeah. It's not even that big of a deal to no, be honest it, it with it you is. to judge at Tech Week, but like I, it's really not that big of a deal. It's kind of it's kind of like ego self ego promoting whatever. But I remember crying, thinking like I remember I remember thinking about that. Right, let me throw my hip hop line in there. When I was dead broke, man, yes, I couldn't picture this. And it's true. Yes. I really feel that way about my life. Where I look around and I'm like, oh mm-hmm. my gosh, I remember praying for the types of problems that I have today. Yes, and that's what it is. You envisioned it. I have. I've always had dream boards. Um, in, in college too, one of my accounting professors, I love. He said this. 
I think it was my junior. He's like, write down 10 things that you want to accomplish within the next 10 years. And I've always written little things. But no, I, I after that, I kept on every year in about November is when I write everything down. And it's you go back to like you just said, oh, maybe I can't afford it now, but later I will or something will come from it. And when you go back and say, oh, my gosh, five years, it took five years to get there, but I'm there. And it's, I think, having that bigger picture, having a reminder. And I always tell people, especially when I come across a lot of people like, how am I going to pay off the student debt? How am I going to pay off this credit card? Spreadsheets. Spreadsheets are helpful. But you know what's also more motivating? That's why I always tell them, don't have your debt amount number on your mirror or anything because you're not going to feel motivated to want to pay that. But have a picture of maybe you want to go on a trip or like you said, you wanted to go to Tech Week, you know, having a a flight, you know, maybe a picture of the location. All of a sudden, you feel like you're more motivated to pay off some of that debt so you can afford to do something. So I always tell people, don't focus on the debt part. It, it will go away, but you have to have something that's going to motivate you bigger. Because if you're constantly thinking about it, it's not going to work. So I'm yeah. the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm that way. Mm-hmm. But when it came to spreadsheets for me, I got to the point where every day I was like, I saved $7 today. That's $7 going towards this. Yes. And I paid this down $7. And it got to a point where I wasn't just doing it once a week. Every day I would pull up that spreadsheet and and most days I could say, oh, I worked really hard and today brought in an extra gig. Nice. I paid this down this much. Yes. Or I sent out this email and this account came in or I re-upped to this. Every day. And I do this. I cold call every day. I love it. Two hours of cold calling on all my working days, which is four days a week. I'm glad you shared that, by the way, because I remember I'm like, you know, you know, because you, you beat yourself, especially when you work for yourself, especially when you're you know, constantly sending out proposals and then you're like, maybe you get one out of the 10. Um, But I like how you mentioned that before. So you said, I do two a day. And it's thinking, it made me think, oh, well, you know what? I'm doing that many. I'm glad that Audrey's sharing that because people need to know it's by the numbers. How many numbers you put out there is when you get those few back that pay off and people need to know that. People get stuck. And I, this has happened to me before at the Instagram. I like to think I'm very real on my Instagram. I feel like maybe the photo quality has gotten better because Marlena does my photos (laughs) now. It's a little more staged than it used to be as far as like aesthetically pleasing. But I, I'm just like everybody else. I have a small team. I have bills. Mm -hmm. I, if I don't bring in any money, guess what? Nobody else gets paid and everyone gets paid before I do. If we have a slow month, a slow week, mm-hmm. I'm the first one who doesn't get a paycheck because other people rely on me for their bills. Yes. Somebody's computer breaks and need a new computer, but I need them to do work for me. Who's got to buy that computer? I do. Right. And let me tell you, there's always something unexpected that happens. Yes. And it's it feels like you have kids, like a lot of kids that are very clingy and needy. I need my cell phone bill paid. I need, I need a tooth extraction. Whatever the heck it is, right? <laughs> Literally, that really happened. Where I sit here and I go okay, I'm responsible for this. And I can't always be like, oh, this was a good day. Now we're cool. No, I always need my pipeline filled because stuff happens. Mm -hmm. Contracts fall out of the works. Things go bad. Somebody loses their budget. The person that who approved this budget got fired and the new person coming in isn't going to allocate that to you. It's it's hard work. And I literally spend every day one hour identifying. So I have a master list that I do. But I spend the first half identifying, targeting, researching who I'm going to contact, who's the person that actually cuts this check. You have the plan. Getting in front of them. And I spend the second hour outreach, right? Get up. I do it every day. I do East Coast hours. So I'm up early in the morning. I can't afford to not do that. And you know, I wonder if there's still a part of me that really suffers with this scarcity mentality still that I'm always trying to overcome because I sit here and I go, well, the what ifs, right? It's never just um, – That's our mind. Abundance right? doesn't yeah. just no. flow to me, right? I create right. it because I work hard. Yes. But when I put that Instagram post about that I get up and do that every day, I had a lot of people who are like, I'm surprised you still have to work this hard. And I was like, those are the people I don't get it. Then you're right. Well, yeah. And I said, what do you think? That I just sit here and I look like this every day and that (laughs) life's just perfect? No, I still cry in the corner at least once a week. Oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? Right. And here's the other thing where I really struggle. And I sit there and I go, who am I to do this? Or think that I, who am I to Mm. have thought that I was the person to do this? We all experience doubts, especially when somebody tells you that's a stupid idea. Yes. Or calls me a feel good measure for white women. And I go, Ouch. Yeah. No, I do real impactful work. But the transition of that, it really gets to you where you just go, okay, am I making the right choices? But also am I setting myself up for my future? And that's very important to prepare yourself because mm-hmm. I can't rely on that. I can't go to mom and dad and say, I need to borrow $30,000 so I can make payroll. No, no it doesn't work no. that way. My parents don't have that kind of money. In fact, my rent now is more than my parents' mortgage. Yes, and it's, it's trying to teach I cannot call them, them for help. Yeah, no, it's not. No. And ideally, we want to be able to help our parents, help our yes. community. So it's not that we have, yeah, well, I'm not going to sit there and wait for somebody else to do it. Exactly. And you just have that mentality 
to plan ahead and to have the stuff that happens. Like I have a stuff that happens jar. Um, mm-hmm. Some people use, um, you know, well, it's a more formally it's a jar, but it's really an account. And it's because you do need to plan for all those things that come yep. about. And and you feel a little bit more comfortable knowing, you know what, if something does happen, our cars are always having some problems or always you, last minute you, you need to go, yeah, your teeth or something. So having a little money set aside for that is helpful. And guaranteed every time mm-hmm. a big check comes in, something major is going to happen. Uh-huh. It's like, it's just, it's like Murphy's Law. Yeah. Guaranteed <laughs> something big's going to happen to me and I'm going to land a big speaking gig. And next thing you know, something major has happened. But I want to talk about where these things come from, this scarcity, Poverty. I want to talk about poverty. I didn't grow up poor. I grew up comfortable. But we grew up in North Long Beach, Paramount, not the best neighborhoods, right? And my mom's always talking about moving out of North Long Beach. My mom's retiring next year, moving up to either wine country or someplace where there's, I call it the new rancho, where there's big open hills and she can have chickens. (laughs) And my dad can ride his motorcycle. And there's something about it, like, even going to visit my parents, they live off of where the 91 and the se- – they live off oh, the yeah, 710 yeah, between yeah. the 91 and the 105. Yeah. So they're where the horse property is. So it's literally Compton, yeah, Paramount, and yeah. Long Beach all meet at those three streets. Mm-hmm. And there's always so much trash by that freeway exit. It's always dirty. There's always graffiti. It's the potholes that nobody ever fixes because mm-hmm. it's so far north Long Beach that nobody gives a shit about it. Right. And because of the Tri-Cities, it's the Tri-City – it's the border of all three cities and nobody really cares my parents worked really hard to give us what we wanted. You know, our, our home was beautiful. My parents have lived there for 30 years. They remodeled it. It's the biggest house in the neighborhood. It's beautiful. And my dad always talks about they shouldn't have remodeled. They should have left the neighborhood, even if it meant buying a shack in a nicer neighborhood for the appreciation mm-hmm. value. And my parents have worked very hard for that. But my mom always said, just because we're not rich or just because you grow up poor doesn't mean you have to be dirty. Yes. And, you know, we talk about like mm-hmm. what it means. I take the blue line all the time. Let me tell you, taking the blue line from Long Beach and downtown in between. That's a humbling experience. Yes. It is some <laughs> hood shit, y'all. It is. You go through. When Watts mm-hmm. Towers is a destination yeah. on your blue line stop, you mm-hmm. know you're in the hood. Yes. It's scary. And it's so sad that it's so dirty. You know, you talked about growing up through the riots. I remember my dad has always worked in aerospace. Back then it was Hughes Aircraft before it was oh, Raytheon. Yeah. My dad's a retired engineer. And I remember the 105 freeway hadn't been built yet. So when the riots happened, my dad used to go up Rosecrans Boulevard wow. all the way to El Segundo. And during the riots, my mom used to go out front and wait in the front yard for him to come home because he would have to go through the riots. Yes, that's scary. But again, look at those, look at our neighborhoods. You Mm -hmm. know, they talk about us in the media as uneducated, illiterate, stupid, poor. And yet, look at what we do. Why do we always think that trashing our neighborhoods and rioting? The next time we have the last Laker parade that we had, sorry, Lakers, you're not the best (laughs) team anymore. But what do our people do? Trash the streets? Yeah. Right. We look horrible. It's and it's so sad that we're in these things, excuse me, that we're in this experience where our idea of celebrating or protesting is to destroy what we have. Right. And I think that's something you you saw growing up, seeing how your parents, especially in those cities, like you just said, having that where it's three different cities, no one really cares. I grew up in a very similar situation. I was in, in Lenox, which is in Inglewood, and it's an unincorporated part of Los Angeles, so yep. the funds... It's like Vernon. Yeah, exactly. So when I tell people that, they're like, I go, well, if you think Inglewood was poor, Lenox is worse. And and going through seeing... Yeah, it's just that I never felt poor. Luckily, my parents did the best that they could as well. They always worked t- two jobs that they had to, and we always had a roof over our head and food and... I think they gave us the great life, but it's that you get exposed to seeing exactly people vandalizing, people just ruining where where you live and making it worse than it was. It wasn't something that it was already perfect and that the streets were awesome. And it's something that they could have, maybe there's other things they could have done. But I think growing up around that, you get exposed to hatred, you get exposed to the scarcity, you get exposed to people feeling it's about me. It's not about a community. And I think that was the hardest part because I came from a place where my family was very close. You know, down the street, everyone was like living, your cousins were down the street. Front or house, back house. Exactly, they, did. Yeah. they bought properties and built exactly. front house, my whole family house next door to each next other. Next door, my neighbors were my aunts and my uncles. Yeah. Exactly. And then, and then the LA riots hit and all of a sudden I started seeing bars up on, on our windows. That I've never seen that before. Yeah. And that was a huge change because I'm thinking we can't feel safe in our own neighborhood anymore. We can't walk outside. We couldn't play anymore outside. Yeah. My parents were like, well, pulling you out of this school and we're going to put you in private school. And it's those are things that you 
you get exposed to such an early age and see, oh, you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. And what's causing that? Like you said, the financial literacy part of it, some of these opportunities that aren't available to us, but how can we become the go-getters if we have to find it? Shoot, I'll create it if I can't find it, you know, if, if somebody doesn't have it for us. And I think that's part of the the hustle mentality, but it's part of being able to create something that you want for your community. I think yeah. the other interesting part about the riots and talking about it, it's been 25 years since the riots. Yeah, I feel like we're living the riots again with Black Lives Matter. Yes. I feel like the uprisings, the shootings, the police brutality, mm-hmm. the neighborhoods, the, the racism, the bigotry, xenophobia, all the stuff that we're experiencing today feels like a modern version of our riots, mm-hmm. right? It's scary. It is scary times that we live in. And it scares me more to think that we haven't grown in 25 years, that we're just, that we're actually, in my opinion, worse off than we were then, right? Like the, I feel like sometimes there's less movement. Like, I, yeah, you're saying that activism isn't exactly there. Sure, we can post something and be like, oh, sure, we're with the cause, but you're right. It's being able to, are we educating ourselves? Are we're not we having any about, less shootings. No, and we're not, and we're not coming out there to be more, what is the word I want to look for, but more of a community, at least back then you would you would do March or you would figure out a way to talk to other organizations or communities. And I think within our own cultures, we kind of set back and don't want to get involved with it. And it's they we're exposed to it regardless, even if we don't want to be involved with it. It's, it is. Yeah, it truly difficult. is. Mm-hmm. And, and there's challenges with that, right? Within our own community. I said this on an earlier, ep- actually I say this a lot on earlier episodes, but I've gotten feedback from our community that I am not brown enough for Brown Girls oh. Rising. And especially now that, you you know, Mm -hmm. Yvette's no longer with the company, so she's no obviously no longer co-hosting with us. I have had some comments from people who are like, oh, but you're very white. You know, that's something that always – and I was going to say when we were talking – you were just talking about racism. I go, racism within our own communities, within our own cultures. And for people to say that, that really irks me because, one, somehow we're never good enough for anything. And yet, yeah, if you're not brown enough, if you're not – if you don't sound the way you should be or if you're educated within our own communities, Latinos communities, it's like, oh, they want to bring you down or make fun of you if you have higher education. Se bien mucho. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mucha crema, mucha crema en sus tacos, yeah? <laughs> Those are, this and, weekend, we, we talked about this on our last mm-hmm. episode. Somebody called me light-skinned. I'm like, what is the Spanish version of being referred to as, oh, you acting light-skinned? Like, full-on, like, the Drake song, like, and, girl, you acting light-skinned. I can't take you nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... What am I now? I'm super presumida or what? Exactly. And I think, you know, I had a friend who was Ecuadorian and Puerto Rican. I, and I love, she was an English, and she's an English teacher now too as well. And she would say, I hate it when stupid um, kids would say, oh, you sound white. And she's like, no, 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 we need to change that. We just say, you're educated, so you're going to say certain things. But it's it's that, it's kind of like we devalue who we are. And then I come across other friends who are Dominican and they're told they're not, you know, they're not Latina enough, that they're, it's Afro-Latina. Like people don't understand that there is all yeah. this dynamics to it. And in, instead of embracing and enriching our cultures, it's something that I think, yeah, we still have a lot to work to do. I mean, my husband and I, we have these conversations all the time. And you your know? husband's Middle Eastern. Yes. So I'm curious, <laughs> you know what? Okay, yeah. true story. Mm-hmm. I had an Egyptian boyfriend for a long time in my early 20s. And I remember bringing him home and one of my tias said, Ay, es Arabe. And I said, yes, yes, he is. And she goes, esos que mataron a Jesucristo. And I was like, if you don't speak Spanish, my aunt basically said, those are the ones that killed Jesus. And I sit here and I go, yeah, that's really offensive. Mm -hmm. And then my aunt meets him for the first time. She goes, assalamu alaikum. He's like, I'm Coptic. I'm not even Muslim. Yeah, and you're like, first of all. <laughs> first of all, let me clarify. And my tia is like, oh, salam alaikum. And I'm like, no, 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 tia. And she goes, why? Well, I heard it in a novella. Oh, oh, do you remember that novella? There was one recently that came out that was this uh, very popular um, oh, it's Arabic novella. The, yeah, and it's and I Spanish. can't think of the name now. Yeah, um, I got that a lot with my family. Even till we, till we, we were dating for almost three years, almost four years before we got married. And a lot of my family, he looks Latino too. So a lot of my family thought he was Latino. And one of my aunts, I love it, she joked around. She's just like, I love that. And he understands Spanish too. She's like, I love that he always responds and understands. But it's a shame he doesn't speak Spanish. And I go, first of all, he's not Latino. Um, I go, he does speak Arabic too. But it's that, it's part of, they don't know much about it, right? They don't know what what that culture is and then they presume it on movies you know my one of my cousins even mentioned he's like oh you have ever seen that movie not without my daughter and i'm like oh are you serious <laughs> you know and so it's funny. part of the stereotypical type of what they know and after 911 we were friends in college my girlfriends and i all of us we were so worried about him and others that 
we're going to either be targeted or, you know, definitely yeah. harassed on, on campus. And he was a debater. Imagine, you know, he could hold yeah. his own, but still, we would still worry for him. So that's always an interesting dynamic, being able to, like, yo, you just say what your answer might say. You're like, uh, that's not exactly. That's so inappropriate. <laughs> I still die. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's what we're saying? He's his- Coptic Orthodox. He was literally almost as Catholic as we are. Oh, yeah. Are. My husband, his background is Catholicism as well. Um, and the funny thing is they thought, um, I'm self from El Salvador, and that's how I identify. Um, they all thought Mexican, you know, because that's what oh, they yeah. know Super on the East Coast. Way. So yeah. when I explained to them, mom, I'm like, oh, yeah, from El Salvador. And they're like, oh, what part? You know, and it, jokingly, but I'm like, yeah, it's a, the smallest country in Central America. And, and they have, everyone has their own stereotypes or not knowing yes. more than anything being exposed to it. So it's been really cool to see the dynamics within our within our with our family too. Like even his sister, her kids are Vietnamese. Like her husband's Chinese Vietnamese. And so Oh my God, I bet that did not bode well (laughs) when she got married. I'm sure his parents were like Oh, it was different. Imagine. So I mean, we're very multicultural. It was a very multicultural family. And it's so cool to see how Somehow we've we've immersed and figure out what is what's okay and what's proper and what's not okay, and especially our cultures. And we know we have, especially Catholicism, we have so many traditions that you just don't do right. So, yeah, I think that's been an interesting. It still is. There's moments where I'm like, oh, you guys do that too, or they're very Latino. She has like, I love my mother-in-law. She has this beautiful picture of the Virgen Maria, you know, the Virgin Mary when you walk in, and it has like the bushy eyebrows, and I had never seen that. And I'm like, ooh, she has like this Arabic look to her. So I think it's really cool to in, to be able to embrace each other's cultures in that sense. When my ex and I were together, one of the things that I loved about him was he's Egyptian. He had a lot of cousins. Mm-hmm. He didn't have friends growing up. He had cousins. We grew up not having friends because we had cousins because yeah. there were so many of us. We're yeah. over 30 first cousins and yeah. we're all within a 10-year gap. So we all went to school together yep. and our friends <laughs> knew our other cousins because they had cousins that were in our cousins class. Right. And even now I have friends that I've known since kindergarten because our Same families here. know each other. And they're like, you know, you go to their houses, you walk in and you go, tia, and somebody's going to respond to you and turn around <laughs> you must be related somehow. Right, right. And I love that about his family, that it was very much like ours. It was mm-hmm. big, family first, lots of kids. Good food. Good food. <laughs> thing, yeah. yeah, his mom taught me to make the bechamel sauce. Wow. She, we, she taught me how to wrap the grape leaves. Oh, yes. Like, we used to do a lot of stuff. I used to love her cooking. Oh, my gosh. And she would always – she couldn't pronounce my name either. She used to call me Ubri. <laughs> Ubri. Oh, that's – yeah, you yeah, She you can't learn. pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, oh, she was hilarious. She – I remember she gave me my first set of hot rollers. So she always had this big teased hair. And his oh mom used to wear so much makeup and she used to smoke. So she always had a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. Oh, yeah. Big smokers. Very like, <laughs> like big Peg Bundy hair, right? And it was always big and teased. And I remember I had this like big hairstyle back then. And she goes, no, Ubri. Perhaps what you need is, you know, whatever. Hot rollers. (laughs) Can't do the accent anymore. I haven't done it for a while. I used to do it really well. And she gave me my first set of like Clairol hot rollers because my mom's never been into that stuff. And Uh I remember she set my hair and then she took it out and she teased it for me. And it was ginormous, like 80 style big. (laughs) And she goes, you can keep the rollers. And I had those rollers up until last year. And they finally like short circuited and broke on me. They were the best rollers I ever had. Yeah, good hair. (laughs) And it was, you know, it's interesting that you think of like, what are the things that you keep from from relationships Mm -hmm. and memories and I look at all the guys that I've dated since then who are all either only children or only had one sibling or ah. weren't close to their family. Or as we like to call it, I dated 50 shades of Jew, white and Jewish. <laughs> and he like with his family, I used to remember that like that was such a that was he was such a big part of my family. Like I remember yeah. meeting all his cousins and he met all my family and it was very integrated. And my current partner is Latino. This is the first time I've ever dated a Latino guy. Mm-hmm. And he's very now integrated with my family, which feels so good. And I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot what this feels like ah, to yeah. have this like family first mentality because we understand the culture and our religions are similar. Mm-hmm. And when I was dating the other guys, you know, my dad's Jewish. So it was fine that we had this like crossover, but it was always, well, you're not Jewish enough for me and I want you to be more Jewish. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I'm Catholic, even though right. we have Jewish influences, but yeah, inter- it's something about like, oh, this feels familiar. This feels like something I know. And that's what it is. And mm-hmm. having that sense of like, you get me because your culture, while, it's, while you're different than me, our cultures have similar qualities that we care a lot about. Mm-hmm. Family first. And I think even the immigrant aspect oh, totally. of like what it means to come to this country and what you prioritize because of what you don't have or what you had to leave behind. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I, you just hit the point where you said, this is familiar. And, and with him, I've had other boyfriends too that were Latino. Mostly we were Latino, um, some African-Americans. And it's one thing that I'm like, with him, it was that closeness. And I remember the first time I brought him over to my family, I, I warned him and I said, you know, I have seven aunts. Um, and so, and they talk loud and they're very talkative. You guys and he started like, the cheese <laughs> That's what I call my mom's coffee corner. <laughs> oh, it totally is. And I had him, I'm like, well, we're going to my grandpa's. You're going to meet all of them. And he started laughing. He's like, well, my mom has the exact same amount of sisters and they're just as loud, if not the same. And so for me, I was like, oh, I don't have to be ashamed or worry about you getting along because he understood. And it's part of that where you embrace each other in that kind of sense. So that's always an interesting yeah, I'll never forget <laughs> when I met his mom the first time. She goes, she goes, oh, Ubri, you're very, she goes, you're very pretty. She goes, you have very big eyebrows. She goes, are you Middle Eastern? And I said, uh, no, I'm not. And she goes, are you, are you Greek? And I said, no, I'm not. And she goes, we hate Greek. We are Arab. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. thank God I'm not Greek. I go, right. I'm Mexican. She goes, even worse. Oh. And I go, oh, shit, this is not going to go well. And she goes, what religion are you? And I go, I'm Catholic, but my dad's Jewish. And her face was like, Ooh, <gasps> yes. It's, no, it took a little while for her to warm up yeah. to me. But I remember like maybe the second or third time I met her, we're in the kitchen and I'm helping her cook. And she was like impressed that I was down to get down with her. Cause like in our family, if you're not helping the kitchen, you don't eat. Like, right. You that's clean up rude. Or you do something. You after, do all yeah. of it to help your tias. That's what you do. Right. You get a mandil. Right. You stand there in the kitchen and you help your tias. Right. And she, I was wearing some like leggings. She came up behind me and she pinched my ass. And she goes, you have a big butt. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. She goes, you like to eat a lot, don't you? And I said, yeah. And she goes, eat a baby. She was always stuffing me, making me Oh, fat. that's, and that's the, I think that's how they show love. Because my mother-in-law is the same way. I love it. She eats you. you. You're hungry? No, I already ate. No, no, you're going to eat. And it's like, okay. Again. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. It's always a culture shop in the beginning. And they learn something about you too. And you learn something about them along the way. Yeah, it's that. interesting. Oh, I that's love that. cool. Yeah, and I love, I think that's one of the things I instantly fell in love with him in that sense. And then talking about familiarity, partnership. With him, he was the first guy that, I mean, many of my ex-boyfriends would say, oh, yeah, I want you to succeed and I'll help you in any way. But he was the first guy that I felt like, wow, he's more of a fem feminist than I am. And yeah. that was so empowering because then I thought, you know what? You could see all of me, hate me or ugly, but somehow you accept me. And I think that's something that I still appreciate about it. Where I'm like, yeah, we still have our fights and we get into it. We're very passionate people. What can we say? Right. But it's that where I'm like, I could still be real. And I think that's something when people are ashamed about money, ashamed about anything, it's kind of, you have to be able to talk about it too. Right. And, Truly. And, and embrace that. Truly. Yeah. Natalie, it's been a pleasure to have you here. Where can our audience find you to learn more about breaking their own cycles and fears around money and just to connect with you and be close to you? Yes, definitely on Instagram, Financially Savvy Latina, and website, financiallysavvylatina.webly. And I have the Webly, by the way, because I like people to know that they can create something on their own for free. Um, different yes. websites. I see a lot of people spending a lot of money on their own websites, and I'm like, you could do it for free until – you know, until you got your brand going, then yeah, you start investing in that too. But girl, um, we connect with it. <laughs> we're over here with our $10 Squarespace, my $10 a month yes. buffer, and all my graphics are free on Canva, C A N V A dot com. Canva, I would love for you to sponsor us. <laughs> People don't yes, even realize, right? Exactly. I love Canva. Oh my God, there's so many different apps that you can use for free and, um, and workshops yeah hit me up I'm always telling people where there's free workshops where there's low cost workshops I'm on boards for nonprofits and financially fit foundations one another one and we're I mean that's all you could do is help people at least start like you just said you're big on excel sheets that's something that you can start with and be happy to help you with so absolutely and thank you for having me this is awesome and google docs keeps it free oh yes alright guys you can find me at Audrey Bellis and this has been Brown Girls Rising we hope this episode has inspired you. For more, visit browngirlsrising.com. Follow us socially on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Worthy Women LLC and at Brown Girls Rising for future episodes. Until next time.